Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more precious than gold. Nothing I have compares with you. Amen. With Pastor Brett, I want to welcome you to Rivermont this morning and invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel of John to John chapter 12. We now enter into the second part of the Gospel of John, uh, moving from the book of signs pointing to Jesus. This is chapters 1 to 11 to the book of glory, chapters 12 to 21, where Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem for his death, for the forgiveness of our sins and his resurrection for our salvation. Now, I do want to begin with a question. Do you know what it is to love someone? Do you know? Now, there is the love between husband and wife, the love of a father for his son, the love of a daughter for her mother. There's, of course, love between godly friends. But if we shift that focus just a few degrees, I want to ask you this question. What does it really mean to love the Lord? We know the command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind is followed by a second great command to love your neighbor as yourself. And after you study the Bible for a while in love, you'll you probably will try to define it with some words like surrender and submission, obedience Now, as we look at our scripture this morning, it's about a woman who is in love with pure, extravagant devotion. If this woman, Mary, were to pull up a chair and answer my question with us this morning, I think you would hear words like adoration, affection, joyful outpouring of one's heart, inner transformation that reflects a tremendous affection to Jesus Christ. She would remind us in no uncertain terms that loving Jesus is more, much more than a daily to-do list that we complete each day of the, of the week. In fact, her story will teach us this morning, what does it really mean to love Jesus Christ? So this is the reading of God's holy word, John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we turn now to your word. We thank you for it. We pray your blessing. We pray for the ministry of your spirit. Please open the eyes of our hearts 
that we may see the depths and wonders of your love and forever be changed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So the question is, what does it mean to love God? Let's set the stage. Here's the setting. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, of course, to die. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be tried. He is going to be crucified. And along this journey, there are many subplots. Evil men are conniving. There's darkness. There's a brooding atmosphere all around Jesus to kill him. And also we soon learn in this chapter to kill Lazarus. For Jesus, these next few days will be the darkest days Jerusalem has ever seen as the Son of God is crucified for the forgiveness of sin. Praise God, though, that Christ's resurrection is coming. Now, in the midst of Christ's journey, there is this extraordinary, beautiful thing. There is a light that shines on the eve before the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate next Lord's Day, where Jesus is in Bethany. Bethany is a couple of miles from Jerusalem to the west of Jerusalem. You could walk there. Probably it would take you about 30 or 40 minutes at a casual pace. Having spent some time in Jerusalem, you could make it out there within about 30 minutes. And this is where Jesus would often spend time in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It had been a breakfast, uh, bed and breakfast type of place for Jesus. Now the point here is there is a radical scene change from all the opposition to Jesus that moves now to this intimate dinner party. Being thrown for Jesus himself from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, we learn that the dinner is being served in the home of Simon the leper. Simon was one that was most likely healed by Jesus Himself, You can imagine Simon's appreciation. Jesus is there as the honored guest. Lazarus was there that Jesus had just raised from the dead a few days earlier. The sisters of Lazarus were there too, Mary and Martha. The disciples were there, including Judas Iscariot. Again, I ask though, what does it mean to love Jesus Christ with extravagant devotion? And that means, how are you doing in loving Him? Well, let's look to our text. And first of all, we'll see in the first three verses of John chapter 12, we first see the generosity of what Mary did. Again, the timing. It's six days before Passover. That makes it Saturday evening. The dinner begins with a comment about Martha, Mary's sister. Martha is serving. She's serving the Savior. Now that had... Got her into trouble once before. But in this place, it seems to be an extraordinary privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. To do something for Him. To prepare Him a meal. Perhaps prepare Him some coffee or tea. Here, Jesus is in a home about to enjoy a meal in His honor. Now, the focus, though, isn't on Martha. And it really isn't on Mary. As we shall see, it's really about Jesus Christ. But for a minute... John takes us and he wants us to focus on what Mary did. Dinner is now probably over. Now, as an aside, I wonder what they had for dinner. I'm kind of curious. What would you serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? But the scripture doesn't tell us that. 
Lazarus and some of the other disciples are reclining at the table. You're lying down, your feet far away, you're leaning on one side. I don't get it. I've tried it at home. It's just not that comfortable. But that's what they did. And then suddenly Mary does something. Perhaps at first nobody took any notice. Perhaps everybody was continuing in their conversations. But all of a sudden the room is filled with the aroma of perfume. Now everyone is aware. Mary has taken about a pound of very costly perfume. It's a lot. It's an enormous amount. It's a pound of pure nard. Nard is a plant in India that when prepared correctly is wondrous. Now this perfume is worth, and Jesus has done the math, He is the treasurer for Jesus and His disciples, and it's worth about 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages. It was a lot of money. Here's the beauty though. Mary gives to Jesus the very best that she has. It was the most expensive thing, a treasured thing, likely a family heirloom handed down from one generation to another. Usually a little bit of this ointment would be used and then resealed. But the key here is this. This ointment, this perfume was most often used for burial. It wasn't anything for daily fragrance or deodorant or any of those things. It was for the anointing of bodies in preparation of burial after death. Now the Scripture tells us that Mary poured this ointment on Jesus' feet. And the other Gospel writers, Matthew and Mark in their parallel accounts, say that she first of all anointed His head and then it flowed elsewhere. Now it makes sense to me, I hope so to you, there was far too much of this oil just to have poured it on Jesus' feet. So Matthew and Mark add that it begins on His head. And it makes sense because Matthew and Mark are presenting Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet John has something else in mind. The fact that it's not only being placed on his head, but on his feet as well. You'll recall, and we'll come to this next week, that in chapter 13, the God-man will wash his disciples' feet as he moves towards the cross. So what is Mary doing in extravagant devotion? She sees no one but Jesus. There's no distractions in her heart. She sees no one but her Savior. There are no worries. She sees no one but the Messiah, the Anointed One, which means that there is no expectations for Him to complete for her what she may long for Him to do. There's nothing that's competing for her affections here. She's overcome with love and devotion for the one who has raised her brother from the dead. And of course, most importantly, she's overcome with the love and devotion to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now questions bubble to the surface. Do you know anything about such devotion to Jesus? To be so overcome with love for Jesus that you would do anything for Him at whatever cost, no matter how ridiculous it may appear to others. Now men, this is far more than sentimentality now. It's more than that. It's exemplary. 
how appropriate it is for you and for me to be so taken up with the love of Christ beyond career, beyond status, beyond investment funds, and even beyond our Apple products. We respond to the One who is providing the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, our love for Jesus must be intentional, motivated by His grace, but there's more here. Notice that as this fragrance of this perfume fills the room, tension begins to fill the air. Her extravagant expression of love was dear to her, but sometimes very perplexing to those around her. So she knows that she must love now with courage. And this brings us to our second point. Mary's devotion was a courageous love. This is in verses 4 to 6. The woman walks right into hostile territory in some ways. Not only does she break all the etiquette of her day, and by this I mean she's talking to men during supper, she's letting down her hair, she's cleaning feet. She expresses her courageous love for Jesus. And now these are my words, but this is what it seems to me she's doing. She's thinking, I'm not concerned with what others may think or say about this. Brother, sister, disciples, I don't really care about your liking protest of my God-given devotion to Jesus Christ. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to give Him everything that I have and everything that I am. I'm going to give my Lord my all. Her love for Jesus Christ does not cave in. Now, why is this so important for us to think about? Well, in one real sense, we all face tense territory from time to time. For some of you, it's within your own family, perhaps with a spouse or a child or a parent who simply do not share your love for Jesus Christ, who don't share your values. And so you may face hostility within your home. Sometimes some of you, though, are facing some tension in your neighborhoods or at work or at school because some of you have friends who create hostile environments for when you begin to share about Jesus and His love. Sometimes it seems easier just to be quiet, just to fit in and just to be accepted. Yet courageous love and devotion are driven by the depth of gratitude that says, I will choose to love Christ and show my love to others rooted in the grace of Christ and all He has done for me at the cross. My Savior reigns. I gladly yield to Him for strength, comfort, security, and rest. Now, beginning with Judas Iscariot in these verses, the disciples of Jesus are becoming a little indignant. They are His front men, His first string. These are the men that He loves. These are the men that He was going to, to trust the future of the church in their comment, that which comes from their lips in response to Mary's devotion, hear what they say, and you see this in the various gospel accounts. Why this waste? Let's hit the pause button there for a moment and ask this question. What was it like for Jesus to hear these words? from his closest friends, from the very ones that that he lived with and he was counting on for the future. What was it like to hear these words? Why this waste to anoint Jesus Christ? I ask you, 
Have you ever been disappointed? Has anyone ever let you down? Have you really needed someone there and they were not there for you in your time of need? Jesus knows exactly what that is like. He was misunderstood, taken for granted, and when He needed His men the most, they turned their back on Him. And yet Jesus cares. He says to you and to me, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cast your anxieties on me. I'll care for you. Now Judas Iscariot, who was later to portray Jesus, he objected. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Jesus knows, but He said this, not because He cared about the poor, but because He was a thief. Now, if you continue to read the plot as it unfolds, you realize that Judas leaves this encounter and goes right to the religious leaders and seeks to cash in on his friendship with Jesus Christ. The going rate, 30 pieces of silver. Now, before we leave this second point, uh, as you look at the story, do you see the great sin that is here? It's not the sin that Judas and the disciples thought that perhaps this was wasteful. No. The real tragic sin in the story is the sin of lips that will not kiss. The knees that will not bend. Eyes that will not weep. Hands that will not serve. An expensive perfume that will never leave the bottle. A heart that will not change. A life that will not love. That's the great tragedy of sin in the story. Judas didn't see all this because Judas was a man who did not love his Savior. He is self-absorbed. His heart is cold. He is greedy. He is confused. Oh, dear brother, sister, may we repent of such Selfishness. Now, in contrast, though, Mary pours out her love. She does so so intentionally. She does so so courageously. But lastly, and this brings us to our third and final point in verses 7 and 8, she pours out her love appropriately. Listen to verse 7. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. From Matthew and Mark, Jesus adds, She has done a beautiful thing to me. Yes, her love is intentional. Yes, her love is excessive, controversial, courageous. Mary's love, though, is beautiful because it's appropriate because of who Jesus Christ is. Now, why did Mary do such an extravagant thing? The oil, the perfume. Jesus gives the answer when He rebukes Judas and the other disciples who were criticizing her for what they regarded as a waste of money. She is doing this for the day of my burial. Perhaps Mary did not do what she did really knowing what was happening. Perhaps there was some lack of understanding of its significance, but in many ways the tone of the story doesn't fit this. This was an an act that was very miraculous and meaningful. She was a woman of amazing perception. And the only way to appreciate what she did is to recognize that she alone of all the followers of Jesus understood that He was about to give His life on the cross. 
But think of what we know very definitively from this book we call the Bible about the atonement. Now this is everything that Christ has done for you and for me in His life and in His death. We deserve to die as a penalty for sin. So Jesus becomes our sacrifice. Hebrews tells us He has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. But secondly, we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. So Jesus becomes our propitiation, absorbing upon the cross the anger of God that we rightly deserve. So we hear in 1 John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Next, we are separated from God by our sins. So what does Jesus do, He reconciles us to God the Father. All of this is from God, Paul tells us, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Finally, what we know of the atonement, we are in bondage to sin, to the kingdom of Satan. So what does Jesus do? Jesus pays the ransom price to redeem us, to free us from our sin. That great verse in the Gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. But now let's move back to our text. Listen to this. Mary poured out her perfume to show Jesus that she understood what He was about to do. And she loved Him. How did Mary come to understand when the others, particularly the disciples, failed to do so? Well, I think the Bible gives us some great clues. And here it is. By being often in the place where we see her now, at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is where we find her in Luke chapter 10. When Jesus came to visit, Martha was busy with preparations for the meal, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. This is where we find her in John chapter 11. This was last week when Jesus returned following the death of Lazarus. When, many, when Mary came to Jesus, do you know what she did? She fell at His feet saying, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. And of course, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. Every time we see Jesus, she is at His feet, worshiping Him, learning from Him. And so here's what I would suggest to all of us this morning. If you want to learn from the Lord, if you want to be filled with His love and joy and peace, sit at His feet. Are you thinking, well, you know what, Ron, I can't really sit at His feet today. Well, that's literally true, but here is the point. The reality is that we sit at His feet every time we study His Word, every time we enter into fervent prayer, and every time we are in fellowship with one another in the community of God's people. And then notice what Jesus adds here. It's our last verse. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have Me. What an extraordinary thing to say. If Jesus is not the Son of God, if Jesus is not the divine divine Messiah, if Jesus is not who He proclaims to me, wouldn't that be the most arrogant thing 
that he could save. Wouldn't it? Yet the point is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Christ is the divine Messiah. He is the Lord incarnate. He is in our midst. And if Mary was ever going to do anything, now was the time because He would be crucified within the week. Mary gave her most valued possession in utter devotion. It was with her heart. Your most valued possession will be different. It may be a cherished relationship, a comfortable home, a successful self-image, a healthy pension, or a dozen other things. But whatever it is, the question is, could you, would you give it to Jesus? Centuries ago, God said to Abraham, What is in your hand? Abraham said, my son, my only son, Isaac, whom I love. And God said to Abraham, lay him down. I want him. God said to Moses, what is in your hand? Just the staff, God, is the only thing that I own. And God said to Moses, lay it down. What's in your hand? Just a few fish and a couple of pieces of bread. And yet when given to Jesus at His feet, He feeds 5,000 people. It's amazing. What is in your hand? Five talents become ten and two become four in the hands of Jesus when we lay it at His feet. Now I ask, what is in your hand, your family of God? You may be thinking, not much. I have a few spiritual gifts, not all that exciting. I have some resources, but not all that much. I have a life that's pretty chaotic. And Jesus would say to you, and Jesus would say to me, let go of that tight grip and lay it down at my feet. The most appropriate thing that you can do with your life and your resources and your gifts is just to pour it out at the feet of Jesus Christ and let Him use whatever we have and whoever we are to His glory and to our good. Here's the grace. Here's the power. Here's the motivation. We love Christ and we love one another as God has loved us in His Son. He poured out of His own reservoir the life of His own Son. He laid down His life on the cross. Jesus came and took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our failure. He died and loved us while we were still cursing Him. In love, Jesus died that we might have life and live it to the full. So the real question is, how do we respond to that kind of extravagant love expressed in Christ? Take all that you are and all that you have and pour it out to the Lord. Give Jesus Christ a never-ending flow of ceaseless praise. Friends, that is what it means to love the Savior who gives His all for us. Amen. Let us pray.
our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this beautiful story. We pray for a heart like Mary's, wholly devoted and given over to Jesus Christ, no matter what. Forgive us, O Lord, for those times when we have abused your grace. May our hearts burst with love for you more and more and more. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.